This is Bucket Talk, a weekly podcast for people who work in the trades and construction that aren't just trying to survive, but have the ambition and desire to thrive. The opportunity in the trades and construction is absolutely ridiculous right now. So if you're hungry, it's time to eat. We discuss what it takes to rise from the bottom to the top with people who are well on their way and roll up their sleeves every single day. Jeremy and Eric with Bucket Talk, powered by Brunt. Today's guest is Larry Ruffiron. But before we jump into this episode, Eric, what's been going on? All right, all right. So it's been a little while here with the team growing and us needing to get the business to the next level. We're moving downstairs. We're taking another bay that's connected to our existing bay, which is kind of, if you've seen on social, you know, the garage that has the epoxied floors and the boots all over the place, flags hanging, bar and all that. We're actually taking a, a bay right next to it and we're figuring out exactly what to do, but we're bringing in some conference rooms, some soundproof booths for work and a gym, which came in and then we're going to have some boots and stuff. So we're going to kind of figure out what we turn it into. So what about you, Jer? So we had first snowfall and all the plows and everybody are out scraping and salting, but it's you know, very minor. It's just a, the the annual wake up call for everybody. But for me, you know, I've been a plow driver for, I don't know, seven or eight years. And uh, it's going to be a new experience for my wife and the farm. So, you know, I'm dealing with making sure the plow's all set and getting ready for that aspect of winter. But it's just going to be I look forward to actually spending some time in the truck with my wife, teaching her how to plow. It's definitely a cool skill to have. And I actually enjoy plowing. So it's going to be the runs, the parking lot. We're going to try to plow out to the pasture. So it's just kind of figuring out all the logistics there. And uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting. I got my big blue truck and big stainless Fisher plow. So first time actually owning a plow. I've always plowed with other companies' trucks. So I'm definitely going to baby it more than than I've, I've done curbs, in the past. <laughs> exactly. But uh, winter's here. I mean, holidays are coming up. It's going to be crazy. Nice, nice. All right, let's dig in. All right. Today we're here with Larry Roden of Rough Iron on TikTok, correct? Correct. Larry, you are an iron worker by trade, and I definitely want to dig into this one. You are the the creme de la creme of the trades, right? We are the king. We're the original bad boys. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to take a deep dive. Like, how, How did you become an iron worker? Iron worker has deep roots and and it seems to run in in families and i want to go as far back as when you were a kid and and how you got into it where you're based out of i I really want to go deep into this yeah right on so honestly how it got started is uh my dad he was a boiler maker by trade and all my uncles and everybody and so forth so i played hockey and played junior hockey college hockey and stuff like that and when i got done i was like well I got to do something because I got to pay bills. So my best friend in high school, he became an iron worker. Yep. So I was like, I think I'm going to try that. And he's like, well, you can't just try it, dude. Either you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. <laughs> so, and I'm super competitive. So I was like, well, I'm going to do it and be the, the best I can be, you know, at it period. And that's kind of how it started. I was tired of, you know, working odd and end jobs and hold on to a dream that wasn't going to happen. So I went and went down to the apprenticeship and applied and maybe, you know, this is like what, 1998. So six months later, I get a phone call. They're like, Hey, come do the test. And that's kind of how it all began. So the test, what is this test you say? 
So back then it was like, like an aptitude test, like, okay. you know, ba- ba- basic math, you know, they give you like the front end of a motor. They want you to route a belt across a you know, like a, like a serpentine belt on a motor, yep. stuff like that. Just pretty basic stuff to make sure you got some kind of, you know, functional skill. aptitude. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Nowadays, from what my boys tell me, we have a whole like physical test and everything. Really? Now, yeah, now man, you, have, like, you have boys in the trades too now. I do. So I got twin boys that are 25. They've been in six years now, seven years, something like that. And then I have a a 20-year-old. He's been in two years. And my 19-year-old started his first job about three weeks ago. And they're all iron workers. And they're all iron workers. Jeez. Wow. That's badass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. That's like the American family right there. It's a a tough group of boys. (laughs) They're um, no ordinary as hell, that's for sure. (laughs) Oh, wow. So once you took the aptitude test and then you got into iron working, how'd you get to where you are right now? Yeah. So like, you know, I started out, we had actually a couple of big projects going on. A lot of people know the the Jeep is made here in Toledo. They were moving the Jeep plant from its old, you know, 1900, uh, 1800s, whatever it was built. I can't remember, but they moved it and built a new facility to build the Jeep. So when I first got in, that was going on. We had like a maximum security prison being built. And that was kind of my basis of it, of getting in. And the company I got with had like contracts with all of them. So we just bounced around all over the place. And then as that was dying down, we had a bridge starting up. And we have a river here in Toledo, the Maumee River. It's kind of like a, a miniature Mississippi River. Yeah. And we put up a bridge that, I, uh, let's see, the, the Skyway Bridge is like five miles long, all precast, all you know, cable stay. So I spent a lot, almost my entire apprenticeship at, on that bridge. And it was like three minutes from my house. So it, it all kind of just worked out real well for me. How long does it take to build a bridge? Uh, it just depends on what kind it is and how big it is. How long was that project? So that project was five years, seven, six years. Yeah. I'm not a heights person. So I assume that you guys walk the I beams all day long, correct? Well, yeah. I mean, but like me, I do a lot more rebar than anything. Like okay. that bridge is all, that entire bridge was, they built two buildings and we tied all the rebar, they poured the rebar, you know, obviously in the, that turns into a segment and then we would bring each segment out and we would set segment by segment by segment mm-hmm. as we set the bridge for five so, hours plus. So I've got a question. So it sounds like, assume someone knows nothing about ironwork, steel work. Obviously, people do different things, but is it really like I-beam infrastructure connecting them, locking it in, and then you can build everything from bridges to buildings to, or is it more, it splices and you have to be a specialist in one or the other? Or Yeah. So like, I'll use like Philadelphia, for example, the Philadelphia local, they have like local 401, which I got a ton of good friends out of there. They only do structural iron. So all they do is set the frame of the building. Now they have another local within Philadelphia that only ties rebar. And that's what they do. Like they're specialized. Now my local, we're a mixed local. So everybody in my local needs to know how to do everything. Or should anyway. Yeah. I I didn't even realize that. Cause like when I think of a iron worker, I think, you know, like I said, walking to high beams and, and rivets and bolts and just, you know, freezing your ass out there. Right. It's the grizzly of grizzly. But then recently I've seen guys like tying rebar and I'm like, I could not do that. Like that is insane. 
Like, and, and now they have they have a lot of tools that you can just walk along. Standing with. tools that you see on <laughs> you see it on Instagram Reels, no doubt. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh, like, yeah. I, I couldn't imagine being in the old days, like having to be on your hands, twist, like, twist it, tying them all. Yeah. Well, I, I think the one you guys are talking about is probably Max. Max Max wire guns. They sell the. They're probably the, like the Cadillac of tie wire guns right now. Yeah. The only problem with them, it's only good for flat work. If you're going to do anything that you're going to have to move, you do not want to use them guns because it, it's their junk. Like I think one of the companies here in Toledo is one of the biggest buyers of Max tie wire guns, which I have. I think I have four, four or six of them on my job right now. Yep. Yep. But um, yeah. I mean, when it comes down to like old school like tying, like I've been in the top. I don't know, five for the last 20 years. Wow. As far as, as far as fastness and all that. Yeah. And, and how, what does that entail? So you're taking the wire, you're putting it around the, the rebar. Yep. And you're using pliers to lock it all together. Or? Yes. Yep. 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 Real pliers. I mean, there's, there's guys that do it that use the old, uh, we call them pig dicks. They get, they call, they got so many crazy names like all <laughs> over the country, like regional, they got crazy names and that's just what, you know, what we call them here. Well, usually that's like either non-union guys or small, small contractors using them. Yep. Now they do use them a lot over in the UK. And in the UK, the guys at tie rebar are called steel fixers. They're not called iron workers or rod busters. Interesting. What's a rod buster? So a rod buster is just a guy, is just an iron worker who ties yeah. rebar. Huh. So, you know, they take the, the word rod and buster and we just bust its ass and beat it. So oh, that's how I <laughs> Do you do any welding or is that like a whole nother faction? No. So the company I'm with, we do everything from the rebar to the setting, to the welding, to the roof, to moving machinery, whatever, rigging, setting up cranes, whatever, anything that entails ironwork, the company I'm with, we do everything. Got it. Got it. And I think you're the first union uh, member that we've had on our podcast. So it's interesting to get into the union aspect of things. And, and I mean, it's a brotherhood, correct? It is. It's really, I know I want to speak for my union only. It's really tight within the iron workers. A lot of the other unions, unfortunately, are real uh, wishy-washy sometimes, it seems like. And then another thing too, like I I try to tell everybody, like a lot of people associate unions with like the UAW and or Teamsters. Yeah. um, Yeah. Well, trade, trade unions don't work like that. Men who work outside and do that don't work like that. Yeah. And, and tell us more about that. So it's funny. You, I hear the word teamster and I think union or whatever. What's the real differences between those kind of things? So like in my experience from around this area, like, you know, people are like, Oh, the, the, the unions will protect the lazy ones. They'll, they'll you know, oh, yeah, look yeah, out yeah. for the lazies. Now yeah. here we kind of, since we're a private sector union, yeah. being, you know, that we're a local chapter, we, we kind of do our own, like, Weeding of the really, herd. We'll make guys quit. Like if we know that you're a weak link and that you're something, <laughs> we will do whatever we can do to make you quit. Got it. Got it. Got it. And, and those other the other teamsters, and it sounds like it's region. It's based on where it is, and those are yeah, some of the groups that I, will protect the weak and take care of the people that are like just want to get by and keep their job type thing. Right. And I mean, I mean, I catch a lot of static from a lot of people that are you know up here. I'm in. I'm just 40 miles south of Detroit. You know, yep. we're in the, the, the motor mecca of everything. Right, right. People get people get pissed at me when I say that about UAW, but you know, I'm just seeing what I observe and yeah. saying what I observe. I don't, <laughs> they don't like it. Whatever. Well, the people that you guys kick out or, or get to quit, where they end up going over to those places pretty much. Norm- normally, yep. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and, the and, ones that can't have it. 
Yeah. 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 And for those that are listening that, that don't understand what, what he just said, first off, UAW is United Automakers, correct? Yes. And then the second thing is, is on jobs that are dangerous and you really need to know what you're doing, having somebody that, that doesn't care or whatever, it becomes a liability and it's dangerous for other people on the job. So yes, when you're talking about, you know, kind of pushing them out, I mean, it's to protect you and your family from, from disaster essentially. And it's, you know, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. I, I think we've kind of lost that skill set. We can't protect everybody. And, you know, yeah, we need, we need to stop trying. Right. Because well, you're putting other people at risk. Well, I mean, even in nature, birds kick the weakest ones out of the nest. You know what I mean? <laughs> so there, you know, there's ways. Of, I, I mean, I know how society is nowadays. It's not, it's not for everyone. And right. I was like, I, yeah. I definitely do not fit in the demographic of the new age of uh, whatever is going on nowadays. Old school rules. Um, and, and I think that's part of like, I, that comes across on my TikTok quite a bit too, is, is, you know, I really don't care if I hurt somebody's feelings because right. at the end of the day, it's just, it's just an app. If you don't like it, just swipe onto the next one. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. You yeah. I'm not asking anybody to follow me. If you don't like me, don't like me. That's, that's, I'm perfectly fine with you not liking me. Yep, yep, but yep. everybody out here is so worried about the numbers, the views, the oh my god, I don't want to offend this person. I don't want to offend this person. Now I have my limits. Like I'm not going to be political. I don't get into the race. I don't get into the the, yep, you know, the sexism yep. stuff. I stay out of that and I stay in my blue collar lane. And I yep, just make jokes yep. and, and stuff that I want to make. Sometimes that gets me in trouble too. But <laughs> whatever, you can't please everyone. If you try to please everyone, you please no one, and just be who you exactly. are. And some people are going to love you, and some people are going to hate you. And that's fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and I'm, I'm totally fine with that. That's how my dad raised me is to worry about me and mine. And this is what it is. All right. So I want to dig back in. I'm so interested in this, in this, the ironwork thing. Yeah. What do you do on a daily basis? Really run me through it. What are you guys doing? What tools are you using? How'd you get your training? Is it on the job? Is it, you know, just run me through. It. Right. Right. So like for me, like my daily thing every morning is I start out with a safety meeting. As much as I make fun of them, they're important. I mean, the landscape changes every day on a construction site. One yeah. day you got columns, one day you, I mean, it's flat. So, you know, that's how my day usually starts out. I usually, I got a new guy, I try to walk him like through the whole process of like, hey, this is where everything's at in this job, pay attention. These are what, you know, the basics. But the tools we, that we use a lot, you know, obviously everybody has their own kind of personalized belt. And if you've ever seen any iron worker's belt, not one next to is, is the same. They're all going to be different. Everybody has their own little quirky way of putting their belts together. Everybody that ties rebar pretty much union iron workers have reels in their, in their scabber, which hold, which is their plier holder. Obviously we have, you know, saws to cut some, sometimes we have shears, forklifts, cranes, all the machinery you need. But, and then like on the job I'm on right now, they're starting to set iron behind us. So obviously we got, you know, steel erection going on too. So now we got to pay attention to that because when they're done, we got to go back underneath them and lay the floors in. So it's a big, it's a big dance. You know, we, we lay, we put all the footers in, they put the columns on, they raise the building up. We go back in underneath them and start putting the floors in and work our way back out of that. As far as like training and stuff. So most, most iron workers, well, my local anyway, we have a four year apprenticeship. You go in and you learn, you know, you go through the basics of rebar and then you go through like year two, year three, year four. Same thing with welding, steel erection, post tensioning, all the various aspects that we have to, you know, perform. Now, some guys really hate tying rebar. Some guys absolutely will avoid it at all costs. 
and and that's perfectly fine because that just means more work for me. But you will learn more on the job than you will in the classroom. Right. Now you will learn all the terminologies, you will learn the math, and you will learn all that stuff. But you will absolutely, if you pay attention to some of them old guys and some of the good hands, you'll learn a lot from them. Because you get the basic foundation, you get the the understanding uh, enough to get out there. But that that comes to a point where you know now you just need to do it. Right. And, you know, I get a lot of apprentices, they come out, they're, they're like brand new. They're, you know, they don't even know how to tie anything. So a lot of times I'll try to team them up with somebody that is a little more patient than the rest. And I just kind of send them off to do like a little job, like, Hey, teach this dude how to tie at least decent enough so that he can, he can try to, and, and if he doesn't make it in the first like week or two, then we know that this probably his, you know, his forte and he probably needs to go try something else. Yeah. That's yeah. far. And not, that doesn't mean like kick him out of the ironworks. It just means like, Maybe he needs to go, maybe hanging iron or welding or rigging or something like that is more his thing than rebar's just not. Nice. Nice. So, so where do you picture yourself going? I mean, are you at the top of the food chain or is there room for yeah, you to I'm grow? Like, I mean, there's, there's always room to grow. I don't think you ever hit the top. I wouldn't settle for saying I was at the top, but I mean, I'm, I'm up there quite a ways. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I mean, I've been, and is, is the next level from you though, you then you actually hang up the tools and you start managing people or I already manage. I don't even, I mean, I work, I still put my tools on every single day, even though I don't have to. Yep. Just because I, I just can't, I don't know something about walking around and seeing the guys work and not have your tools on. There's just something about that. That's wrong. And in my opinion, I don't know. Some yep. guys, yep. some locals absolutely do not want you to wear your tools. I've been in locals that like got on me about it. And I'm like, look, man, I'm not going to work. I'm just wearing them. Leave me alone. Yep. Yeah. 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 But yep. Um, no, I, I mean, we have an international ironworkers festival, a tournament, if you will. Yeah. Every year it's in Mackinac, Michigan every year, second weekend of August. And if you're a union ironworker, you can come out and put your skills to the test against some of the baddest dudes in the country. Well, it's the international. So Canada and uh, United States. Got it. Yeah. I mean, so the, all, the only people I know that do that is, the linemen, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Linemen have their company. Yeah, so the line, the linesmen have their rodeo. We have our, we have our international ironworkers festival. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they it specializes in just a few things, kind of like, kind of like their uh, rodeo does. Yeah. You know, we do fastest rod tire. They do a couple old school events, like we do a rivet throw, which nobody does rivets anymore, but we still do a rivet throw. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you tie knots. Uh, what's the other one? Oh, we do a spud throw, kind of like an axe competition with spud wrenches. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting which is which is actually pretty fun and then we have the column climb and then yeah. we also have they have a woman's event too now for the spouses so they can uh so that they can pack the their old man's bag as fast as they can no <laughs> shit that is hilarious yep they they implied that a couple of years ago and it's actually pretty fun so that's awesome and it sounds like you've competed in that because you you're like you're like i've been the you know top five you've been in that or I, I literally have a whole thing stacked. I got 20 years worth of trophies behind me. <laughs> That's awesome. And then like this year, these guys, they kind of surprised me. They, they inducted me into the International Ironworkers Hall of Fame this year. Dude, that, so, seriously? Congrats, bro. Yeah. How, tell yeah, us about so that. that was, how, when did that start? Like, is that like a 50-year-old thing or is it newer? Or? It's So they had the festival every year in Mackinac, Michigan. And it's never going to change. It's always in the same spot. So they have an Ironworkers Walk of Fame in Mackinac, Michigan. So all these guys that have, that were like badasses, honestly, they got their name, a brick, and it's permanently embedded in the ground there on the Walk of Fame. And you get a plaque that goes into the museum and like all kinds of stuff. Well, I didn't know this was going to happen. They had told 
my kids and a couple other people that they were going to induct me. And then they did it on uh, the day that I was went, you know, getting my other trophies for winning this year or whatever. And they pulled me to come up there and gave it to me and was like, yeah, you know, you've put so much time into this tournament, so much time into the iron workers as a whole promoting iron work and safety and this and that, and the, you know, stuff. And, you know, trying to make me be all in my feelings and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's insane. That's insane. Yeah, How many was, people do they induct uh, on an annual basis? Uh, like four, four years or something. Wow. Holy shit. Wow. That's badass. And, and unfortunately, most of the guys that are inducted now or were inducted or, you know, or had done past. So like, I think I'm literally the only one in my local ever to be inducted. And the fact that I'm still alive and inducted <laughs> is kind of wild. Cause like all the guys that I know, which is crazy. Cause I, so many of the guys that have been inducted, I, I've known through my 20 years of going up to this tournament. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. It's just a brotherhood thing about going up there. Like, I think, I don't care if I go up there and lose that's I'm perfectly fine with that. As long as I get to see those guys and hang out. Yep. Yep. All right. That's badass. So you got boys in the trades. They're now young men and they're getting into it. What are some of the things that you tell them? What, what do you want to see out of the boys that can guide them to success? Kind of get you where you are today. You know, some of the tips and tricks and just kind of the work ethic and, and stuff along those lines that really want to see in, in the younger generation, but especially out of your children. I'm, I'm pretty hard on my kids as far as that goes, but the, the biggest thing for me, I always tell even the apprentices that aren't my kids. I'm like, listen, half of ironwork is just showing up to work. You should yep. got to show up first before to even begin. So be on time. If you're on time, you're late. Be a little bit early, be a few minutes early. And then I always hear some of these guys, well, I'm not getting paid for it. Yeah. But you get there and you're not, you're not on a speed wobble when you're coming through the gate. Kind of get in there and just get yourself together. Yeah. Um, yep. As far as work ethic, some guys have it and some guys just don't. My kids, a couple of the boys are good. One of them is kind of, I don't know. Like I get on his ass a lot and he don't even work for me. Yeah. But I get the phone calls from the guys that do know me like, Hey man, your kid. And I'm like, well, get on his ass. What do you want? He's not working for me. <laughs> like it's almost like they don't want to yell at him because he's my kid i'm like if you guys aren't doing your job then don't be caught like you know yeah, you guys no. have to run the set the pace set the tone man yeah i think back to when i was a kid and i definitely needed to kick in the ass multiple times and and it, it wasn't until i was in my late 20s early 30s that it really started to click and it's, it's not like they're lost causes it's just it, some need a little more guidance than others and i mean you're all out there just literally just a yeah. bunch of idiots no absolutely absolutely i mean I, and I, I think when you go from you know high school to to any trade for that matter and you're working with a bunch of old crusty guys like me <laughs> you know we've been doing this for so long that like we already know what the next step is and it's the kids that are like hey what's next hey what, what can i do to them are the kids that like that stand out for me anyway. Like, let's keep it moving. Let's keep going. And and luckily we've had a really good run of apprentices that, that had been that way. I haven't really run into it. And that's, I think that's going nationwide. I, I don't think that the guys that are getting into the, to the blue collar trades, construction trades in general, I think are a little bit tougher mindset than some of the other, yeah, other demographic of people. Yeah. Obviously back in the day when I got in, I mean, they cussed you out from the time you started to the time you got off. I mean, that just was the way it was. Yeah. Now yep. you can't, you can't do that no more because culture yep. and things. This is what it is. But I, I always tell my boys, you know, if, if it looks sketchy or dangerous and you don't feel comfortable with it, don't 
don't be like, Oh, I'm just not doing it. Like talk it over with whoever your boss is or whoever the journeyman that's in charge of that you know, situation and be like, look, I don't feel comfortable because the time you don't feel comfortable is the time you die. Yeah. You know, if, yeah, you, if yeah. you take a bad step, if you walk backwards off a building, like, you know, there's so, there's so much that can go wrong so fast. So you just got to really pay attention. And, that, yeah. and that's just what I tell them. You got to pay attention to everything around you and you, because a lot of times, you know, if you ever look at a lot of the stats, a lot of guys don't like, they don't fall on their own in an accident. Something happens and it pushes them in a hole and, that, and that's how they get killed. It's a sad thing to talk about, but there is the dark side of, of some of these more dangerous trades. I mean, they're, they're safe to a degree and, and it's a good living, but there is that element of, you know, danger. And it is sad to hear we're from the Northeast. So usually we hear it in New York or Boston that, you know, yeah, some guys yeah. fall down an elevator shaft and, and you realize that they, you know, and it was something simple, like they weren't tied in or, you know, well, we, just, we just had that happen here. We had a young guy. I think he had just turned out as a, a journeyman. He fell off a building and, and died. He wasn't yeah. tied off. Yeah. And, and it's, know, a, with, it's the stupid things like that. And I, I don't mean to make light of it, but it, it's the simple things, the, the small it, missteps. It, it, it is. And, you know, there's not, like I said, nowadays, well, I don't think I said it, but anyway, there's so many safety measures in place now to, to not die. So there's really not a reason. Yeah. Harnesses aren't comfortable, but they're really comfy when you're still breathing. Right. 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 So, exactly. you know, you know, that's I mean, never going to happen. Exactly what the dead man always says. But you got, so, I mean, it's easier now too, because you guys got like those retractable tethers and everything now. So you just, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably different than the older, uh, than old times and, and, you know, technology gets better and better and, you know, safety. Yeah. So when I, when I started, harnesses were kind of an option. You didn't have to wear them. Jeez. So it was kind of like, Hey man, we got a harness. You want it? Like, eh, fuck that harness. I don't need it. It's going to trip me. I'm going to fall anyway. So and that was kind of the mentality. So we always say, like they say now, you know, we go through a lot of safety stuff. Now it's a culture to wear your safety equipment. And it really is like guys wouldn't even go up on a building without even putting a harness on anymore. You wouldn't see anybody get in a basket anymore without putting a harness on. So it's good, like, right? Well, yeah. I mean, they know they can't anyway, but like, you yeah, don't have yeah. to go and police them. You don't have to be like, hey, put your fucking harness on. <laughs> right, right. Like, right. you know, no, wear, wear your stuff. Yeah. You probably get one of the old timers tackling you before you even got up there. Yeah, I mean, and there's some guys that are all about it. You know, they're like, hey, make sure you put your stuff on. Yeah. Um, you know, and the big thing lately has been gloves. You know, guys, you know, busting their fingers. Now everywhere is, uh, you got to have gloves on. If you're walking, you're working. That's what they tell you. Yeah, they, they used to, in my, in my trade, it, it's become a thing. Like, we we now wear rubber gloves because of all the solvents and everything like that. But there was a time where they used yeah. to call them bitch mittens. And you're like, whoa, like, oh, yep. <laughs> kid yep. over there is wearing bitch mittens. And you're like. It was the, the, the tough thing to do to have the roughed up hands. And, yeah, and yeah. now now it's like, well, do you want to live until you're 70 with your with your hands being absorbed in oil and, you know, solvents yeah. and all this stuff? So, yeah, yeah it's yeah. definitely... Petroleum. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely yeah. getting... The culture has changed a lot. So I, yes. I definitely agree with that. Outside of work, let's talk about that. Yeah. What, do you, what do you and the boys do for fun? I fish more than average Ooh. bass and stuff or are you where, where, where i live you? i live on like i live on lake erie walleye capital of the world nice yeah, so nice like, um every, but i fish for everything we have literally i mean if it's fresh water we pretty much have it so and where i'm at you know this used to be called the black swamp area 
So we have swamps, we have the lake, we have the rivers. So whatever you want to fish for, I mean, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty viable. And what's your, so is it walleye your thing or is that just one piece? Of- Actually, no, I, I really like fishing in the muddy rivers. I like fishing for catfish and, and stuff like that. That's kind of my thing. You ever go, what's it, what's it noodling? So the flatheads here in Ohio, you know, they got introduced in like the sixties or something. Yeah. They're not really native to our river. They are getting big, but I think noodling still illegal here in Ohio. God, oh really? God, it's illegal. It's illegal. Oh no. When I was in Kansas, you had to buy a special license in Kansas to get it. And you had to, there's all kinds of crazy rules. You had to have, you know, a buddy, which you should have a buddy anyway with you if you're yeah. trying to pull a catfish out of a hole in case that thing drowns your ass. But it, yeah. was, it was wild because when I went down to South Carolina, uh, I went down there with a buddy and he was like, you want to go noodling? We did. I didn't get anything, but it, it, it's just commonplace. You're just sticking your hand in holes. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was not for the faint of heart. <laughs> no, it's it's definitely wild. It's definitely a, a wild thing. When we were out there in Kansas and Missouri and stuff, they they, they weren't scared of shit. That's the other hand in anything. I was like, God. Dude. It was wild. Damn, that's <laughs> freaky. No, that's so awesome. It, I mean, fishing's my thing. And then, obviously, I played hockey my whole life. I still play hockey to this day. I'm probably never going to stop. So, I don't know. You go to the hockey tournaments up in uh, Canada? Well, nobody's going anywhere right now. I play on a team uh, that's made up of a bunch of Ohio and Michigan guys. Yeah, we, we travel all over the country, you know, with the whole travel and yeah, that stuff. Mean, mean hockey players up there. I got a buddy that used to play for the University of Michigan when they won the championship. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, most of them are all in the NHL. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I know so many guys that are in the NHL that, well, they're you know they're all forged in their forties now, so they're all retired. But some of them still have something to do with you know they're with some of the teams or some of the you know under teams. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. I mean, I like I played on Team USA's team, to, you know, under U eighteen development team, all that stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. Awesome. Well, I mean, this is kind of the end of our podcast. This has been killer. This has been killer. <laughs> we definitely took a deep dive into the uh, oh, best I enjoyed it, man. The best, best trade, trade. Yeah. the best trade. It's the only trade. <laughs> I, I mean, literally, you just ended bucket talk. We're done. We're done. There is no other. Yeah, there's no other. <laughs> What's the best thing for us to plug you? You know, is it obviously you know you've taken off on TikTok, but is there other channels or other things that you're involved in that you want us to share with um, our audience? I mean, I'm you know obviously I'm big on TikTok. I'm getting big on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm kind of big on Clapper too, for whatever reason. All right. Clapper is like the unedited TikTok. Yep. Yep. That's cool. Um, I, I did start the YouTube shorts, but I don't know if YouTube likes me yet. It's a weird <laughs> crowd over there. <laughs> <laughs> so it's rough underscore iron on YouTube, Clapper and TikTok. And it's rough underscore iron 55 on Insta. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually enjoy your videos. You're hilarious. <laughs> I'm, you know, and the thing is, I all started this because my kids said that, I, was, I asked him one day, I was like, we're at a hockey tournament. I was like, what are you guys watching? They're like, TikTok. It's young people stuff, dude. And I'm like, what? So I started watching. And I'm like, um, I said, I could be funny. Like, they're like, whatever, dude. And so I was like, all right, challenge accepted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sweet. So, well, we appreciate you being on the podcast. And uh, we'll be at the next DBK concert together. It'll be awesome. Yeah, we might have to. I, got, I know. I really got to really get out to see him. I, I haven't. Man, it's been a minute. But... Dude. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, my man. This has been killer. Dude, I appreciate it. You guys are awesome.